stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Been a lot of conversation this week about the Gerald Stanley trial, the acquittal, the death of uh, Colton Bushy, and why it had to happen, why it happened at all, and whether this was a miscarriage of justice or whether this was a reasonable acquittal of someone who was in a scary and potentially dangerous situation. I, I, I can't put myself in Gerald Stanley's shoes. And we, we should try. We should try, but it's difficult to do. Uh, and, and look, I, I don't live in, a, in an isolated rural area. And I know there are a lot of Canadians who do. And, and I certainly understand the concern they have. That if you're faced with a dangerous situation, you're on your own. You can call police after the fact. Uh, and maybe in a few hours or the next day, Depending on the situation, maybe they'll be able to respond. Even in an emergency, in a dire situation, an ongoing active situation, there's still a ways away. So you're on your own. Now, Gerald Stanley never claimed self-defense at his trial. But I think a lot of people have been looking at it that way. Uh, That these uh, drunk, belligerent teenagers, young people anyway, showed up on his property. And we're maybe up to no good. His wife was there. His son was there. What's the guy supposed to do? But again, he didn't claim self-defense. But I think it's come to symbolize that to a lot of people. That a lot of other people who live in rural areas can very easily imagine themselves being in that situation. Or maybe have. And so there's a broader issue here that perhaps has been overlooked in some of the minutiae of the trial. And it's an issue we've had to confront before. And after reading and watching Paula Simons on the Edmonton Journal website today, you know, brought back a, a case that, that seems so long ago. It was such a huge story at the time. Who remembers Weeba Ludwig? Who remembers the name Carmen Willis? Similar story in some ways. 1999, pickup truck full of young people, trespassing on a farm, shots are fired, a young person dead. How far can people go to protect their property? Especially in a situation where help is far away. Paula Simons, columnist for the Edmonton Journal, edmontonjournal.com. You can watch her very moving and and fascinating uh, video essay today on all of this. Uh, Paula, thanks so much for making some time for us. Well, thanks for inviting me back, Rob. Uh, And I get the sense that part of what prompted you to to explore this avenue is that it really hasn't been discussed or discussed at great length since the, the verdict. No, you know, because I, I was flashing back, as a measure of how long I've been doing this job, uh, to when Carmen Willis died, which was almost 20 years ago. Yeah. And, and for people who don't remember this case, she was a 16-year-old girl. She was with a bunch of friends who'd been partying, and they drove on to Weebo Ludwig's family compound in Trickle Creek near Heith. And, you know, the Ludwig family was maybe a little on edge already because they were kind of... Um, uh, they, they'd made themselves very notorious and very unpopular in the community. Ludwig was suspected in a series of uh, bombing attacks on oil and gas installations. And they were, I mean, they were, and they were odd, right? I mean, they were living on their basically, you know, uh, small-scale cult on, on their commune. And so onto their property come carrying these kids in pickup trucks, and a shot is fired. And... Uh, uh, two kids are hit. One of them went to hospital with injuries, but the other, Carmen, died. And 
no one was ever charged in her death. No one from the Ludwig family um, who, you know, defined themselves as evangelical Christians came forward and said, I'm responsible for this. There was never any justice and there was never any closure. And I remember at the time being absolutely shocked as a city girl myself by the number of people who rallied to Weibo Ludwig's defense, including people who despised him for his environmental activism and for his eco-terrorism. And all of a sudden, um, there were all of these people saying, well, you know, they were on his property. He had a right to defend his family. And, you know, people, you know, people in rural Alberta, you know, there was a kind of a shoot first, ask questions later. And I wondered, you know, was I misremembering this? So I went back and looked on our, our online stories from the time and nope. No, in the, in the days before Twitter and Facebook, we had actually gone into chat rooms and monitored the conversations people were having. And then I started to sort of search for other cases in more recent years of uh, people who'd come onto farmland and been shot at. And I was shocked at the number I'd found just in the last couple of years in uh, central and northern Alberta of circumstances where it's almost the same story every time. You know, some drunk youth... Uh, whether they're teens or in their early 20s, come onto a property, they start stealing an ATV, a uh, farmer comes out, fires warning shots, fires shots in their general direction. Um, in, the, in the three other cases I found, thank goodness nobody was, was seriously injured and nobody was killed. But they were all, the sim- all stories very, very similar. Um, in, in one case, I think both the shooter and the victim were Métis. In one case, uh, the shooter was white and the victim was white. And I think in one case I found, as best I can judge, from the records, the shooter was First Nations, and the guy still in the ATV was white. So the race issue was less relevant in those cases than was the issue of whether or not people just felt that they had a right to shoot people who tried to take their ATVs. And, uh, you know, it, it seems to me that that's, there's so many very questionable racial angles to what happened in the Colton Bushy, Gerald Stanley situation. And I do think that the way the RCMP investigated and the way the trial was conducted uh, are emblematic of really, really problematic systemic racism in this country. But that said, I think we have a whole other problem, which is uh, rural people who feel that the RCMP isn't there to help them, that that they are isolated, that there's a rising problem with rural crime, and that you know, if somebody comes to take their ATV, they're going to shoot them, which is really not a very healthy attitude. Right. You know, it's interesting because in this instance, in this particular case, and the judge made it very clear to the jury that uh, Gerald Stanley fired warning shots into the air, and and that was lawful behavior. But we yeah, are kind of we are kind of skirting close to this line where where what is reasonable? I, because I I, I I suspect most people who live in rural areas. Don't think it's reasonable to just say to them, look, if someone comes on your property, stay in your home, let them do what they're going to do, and then phone the police after. Yeah. You know, and I understand that people want to defend their stuff. I really do. But, you know, it's a bad practice in the sense that you don't, you know, you don't know how dangerous you're, it's going to be for you. Right. I mean, I think, there's, I think there's a legitimate legal question about whether firing warning shots is an okay thing to do. I mean, I think that's arguably careless use of a firearm, uh, you know, because warning shots, it, unless you know precisely what you're doing, uh, a warning shot can go astray pretty easily too. Um, you know, in at least one of the cases that I that I talk about in the video, the guy did fire what he considered to be a warning shot, and he had no idea that he'd actually hit somebody. 
So, you know, just going out and firing warning shots can escalate a situation and, and, and can lead to considerably more damage than somebody might intend. Uh, you know, my family has a, a quarter section of land outside of Edmonton. I won't say in exactly which direction. Sure. We've had a, it, we use it as a vacation home, and we have a handyman, uh, you know, who lives in the area and comes and checks on the property. I think we've had four, or maybe it's now up to five break-ins this year after never having had any. And in one of those times, the handyman uh, is a big guy, but you know, came onto the property, interrupted thieves in the course of what they were doing, uh, came running towards them, ended up in a fight, and, and it was handyman who ended up in the emergency room. So, you know, and he said to me ruefully afterwards, yeah, now that I'm in my 60s, I probably shouldn't have done that. But I understand, I understand that your first instinct is to protect your property, protect your family, to protect your stuff. But, you know, I'm really grateful that, that this family friend who looks after our vacation home didn't end up more seriously injured, because what if those guys had had a gun? I know. Well, it's, yeah, I don't know. I, there's no easy answer. I mean, I, I get that you'd, you'd rather have potential bad guys afraid of going to your property than, than the one down the road. That if someone's coming to steal something, uh, that guy who lives there, I think he's got guns. He seems a little unstable. Let's just drive right past and we'll move on to the next farm. I, yeah, I well, get you know, that the, people got to think of their, their own situation. Yeah, well, that's how we end up with a James Roscoe situation. I mean, you remember Roscoe, uh, who, I mean, that happened after the Carmen Willis shooting. I mean, he was a loner with a lot of guns on his farm at, near Rochford Bridge outside of Marathorpe. Uh, and he he got very testy when people came onto his property. And... Uh, you know, after he he chased some people away, the RCMP came on and found out that one of the reasons he was being so testy is that he was running a grow up on a chop shop, and uh, they set up a, a you know a, a watch for him, and he came back and shot all four of them. I mean, we if we create a culture in which rural people feel that the rule of law doesn't apply to them, that's not good for anybody. Uh, no, it's not. But what's the answer? Well, I mean, uh, part of the answer may be that we need to rethink the way we deploy rural RCMP, uh, whether we need a more robust police presence in rural, in rural parts of Alberta and Saskatchewan and Manitoba, uh, whether we need to have better staffing for RCMP, better use of technology, um, better, you know, making it easier for people to, uh, you know, uh, communicate with the RCMP directly when when there's something amiss on their property. Maybe part of the problem, too, is to look at the root causes of what seems to be a, a spike in rural crime. How much is that related to methamphetamine? How much is that related to fentanyl? How much of that really is, you know, more related, you know, as, as was, I think, in the case um, of Carmen Willis and Colton Bushy, that you've got young people who are at loose ends, you know, I mean, for generations, we've had rural kids who on a Saturday night don't have much more to do than go out to a bush party, get drunk with their friends, and then tear around in pickup trucks, which is also not a very safe way uh, to conduct one's life. Yeah. You know, if, as, rural, as the rural population thins and we don't have tight-knit rural communities, as farmers don't feel that the next farmer over has their back, uh, that's also a problem. If if that social contract is fraying, um, as as farm communities uh, find themselves thinning out, and and individual farmers find themselves more and more isolated. 
Yeah, no easy answers, unfortunately, though. Uh, EdmontonJournal.com. Paula, thanks for making some time for us here. Appreciate this. Thanks very much, Rob. Take care. Paula Simons uh, with the Edmonton Journal. You can read her piece and her video essay as well. I mean, it's definitely an issue. There's no doubt about it. And I can understand uh, people who live in rural areas who feel as though they're isolated, they're on their own. They're going to do what they have to do. They're going to do what they have to do to protect their family, first and foremost, to protect their property and to not be sitting ducks, to not be an easy target. Because what else are they supposed to do? So I think this is kind of the underlying issue, and it's been building for a very, very long time. And I think it's one of the reasons why there's been so much sympathy and support for Gerald Stanley. Because he he didn't claim self-defense, but I think the facts of the case speak for themselves. He's out there with his son building a fence. This truck full of young people shows up on his property. He didn't ask for this. Right? He did nothing to invite this situation. And yet he had to deal with it. 974-8255 is a number. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.